I'm good. And I'm Gamgoon. This is the Good Game Podcast. A retrospective on recent events in the gaming industry. All right, so the first thing that we're going to be talking about tonight, folks, in this post-self-quarantine COVID-19 world is uh, esports, because esports are one of the the things in gaming that are going to be most directly affected by COVID-19. There are all sorts of crazy things going on in esports right now. For example, Gamegoon, have you heard that there's now going to be NASCAR esports? Yes, I didn't catch any of it live myself, but I saw some of the posts on social media about how they were potentially testing out doing a kind of live stream on one of the Fox channels, and it got pretty good reception and views the first time they're doing it. And now they're even planning on possibly doing like a whole little mini-series on Fox Network on television. See, that to me is is crazy that they're actually going to be doing this on like a a legitimate television network and I, I opinions being what they may some people not might not exactly like fox or or view them as a legitimate television network but as far as a gaming esport goes that's that's a pretty legit network to end up on um and i it's it's crazy to me but it it's also great like i'd imagine this will be a lot safer you do have to wonder though like don't get me wrong, but there's a definite portion of the NASCAR audience that watch watches for the crashes. Like, do they emulate the crashes in these games? Do we know? It's definitely nothing like real crashes. And these games are kind of, they're kind of more like Gran Turismo and less like Burnout. So they're not crazy crashes in these games. So it's not as visceral as in real life. But you it's kind of there. It's not definitely going to be a totally different feel from crashes, but like the general feel for NASCAR should be there. They're just watching people do their, I don't know what they do, like turning in, making good turns, getting good pit stops, controlling the cars, dodging crashes should be there, but the crashes are definitely going to be at a different level. Yeah. I saw that they've got people like changing tires out and that tires actually wear over time on the track, which is really a key interval or part of, racing in nascar um but i I honestly like i'll be surprised i'll be surprised if we don't see some focus go into replicating realistic crashes as well uh because there is a part of that base that watches for the crashes like the nice thing about this at least is that if you are one of those people that watches to see the crashes at least nobody's going to get hurt which is really really nice um and maybe the the biggest silver lining there So you can watch for the big crashes without anybody actually having to get hurt or injured and potentially losing their career. Have they do you know if they've got actual like NASCAR drivers that are doing the driving in the games or are they gamers? Like what do we know anything about what that lineup looks like? Uh, I know for the like the first kind of just test showing just like um, first outing, they did have some like. I don't know the people's name, but it was a guy who won several Indy 500s and some other big name NASCAR drivers people in the thing playing in the races. And the person who actually won the little test run was the guy who run who had won multiple Indy 500s. So for that, they did. Now going to like what they're planning for the I NASCAR for Fox, I don't know 100. percent There'd probably be a mix of both, since technically they probably get some people who play the game regularly, and then maybe some teams who don't really run NASCAR might have some of their players, maybe they play the game and have them just do it to kind of like keep that cohesion there. See, that's that's an interesting thing, too, is to see how those two worlds collide. Uh, but NASCAR is, of course, not the only thing that we're seeing hit by COVID being an issue for esports. Uh, we're also seeing the League Championship Series has been sort of changed around a little bit. 
Uh, and you and I have discussed this a little bit already, but there are some very interesting implications to that. Like the LCS is now going to be done from, you know, people's centralized locations versus the LCE, the European League Championship Series, which is going to be done from countries all over the place. And that's that's potentially going to cause some some differences in play and and some issues potentially definitely being for the lcs most of the teams have houses in the kind of california la area of the riot studios have houses around their offices set up for the teams so that basically they had do practices during the week at their team houses and they go to riot game studios for the matches on friday saturday or saturday sunday monday and they're just back so they're all kind of in that centralized area so even though we're in our quarantine now they're kind of for them, either the move to the online will be at the land, kind of less ping impact. Moving online shouldn't be too big of an idea because, generally speaking, they could all potentially be on the same ISP, so they, that should mitigate some of the online factors. But over the LCE, a lot of the teams used to usually have kind of home bases in the different European countries, and they would fly into Berlin to the Riot Games Studios for those matches on the weekend, and then fly back out to their home countries. Yeah, so it's interesting to me because you have to wonder how much of an impact Ping is going to have on people making like those really cool clutch plays that the League Championship Series is known for. And beyond that, you also have to wonder if it's going to affect like team composition strategies now because I would imagine that some characters are going to be less reliable if Ping becomes an issue and some of the tactics that have been used that are sort of time sensitive will become a little bit less reliable if ping is an issue. So we may see sort of some of the team comps shift away from using those tactics, maybe playing a little bit safer. Uh, and and do you think we'll still see crazy double lift, like quad kill, Tristana, wall jump, madness? I think the kind of concern you have is a valid concern, but Riot Games being kind of the kind of machine that they are, they're still... It's still, even though we're moving online, they're still going to kind of follow the usual rules. If someone has ping issues, where they'll probably pause the game for a bit, try to get it fixed, try and keep ping to the minimum so it's the least impact on the games, keep the integrity intact. And most of these people do play solo queue in their free time when they're not screaming and stuff. So they should be accustomed to playing in relatively the ping normally, even though with the current state of the world, there are going to be like spikes in like internet usage. So there could be factors depending on time of day affecting those different things in lcs or lce but in a say a normal setting if ping came issue they would pause the game wait for it try five fix get it fixed and then continue on with the minimal effect of the ping yeah so it sounds like there's there's potentially some issues they're going to face but riot will probably be on top of that i think it'll be interesting too because there's a lot of people that like point out the difference between solo queue or duo queue and professional play because of the the land connection and things like that so i guess this will really give us a chance to see whether or not those people are kind of full of it or if they've actually got a point uh, I, I agree with you, though. I don't think that we'll see too much of a shift in the capabilities of the players because they do stream. They do do that stuff on stream. Uh, more than anything, I think what what will be interesting is how consistently the the connection will work, because if they're constantly having to pause League Championship Series games to adjust for ping issues, that's going to create some problems. And I almost wonder if what will end up happening is these league team organizations will end up ensuring that they have like stable fiber line connections running to their team houses so that they have the best, most solid connection. Or maybe Riot will even subsidize some of that to ensure that the league plays smoothly. 
Well, they've been going for, I think, the last two weeks now, and I don't think none of these kind of major issues have popped up, and we're actually out of the the regular season's over and we're moving into playoffs, so I think for the most part, there was no real big issues with the P, except for a couple of occasions or the last two weeks of regular that's good. That's good. It's and and like this is something that I I thought to brought up, or to bring up, but there's there's also some interesting implications for uh, things like lag switches and and other sort of cheating things. And I know that in a perfect world, like none of the teams want to be caught cheating because you'll get removed from the league or whatever. But I mean, we have seen other esports teams get caught for for things like that, and I I do wonder if there's more of a potential for that when they're working remotely from their own locations. I believe Riot's still instituting their kind of having a ref or a kind of like referee person sponsored by Riot still go there to check out the setup when they were setting up for the remote games. So there's still someone could, I guess, still try that. But I think the chance of that is very likely. And I think mostly people are really kind of sportsmen. There's no like really poor sportsmen people in between the people in the, these two leagues. So I don't think anyone wants to really try that. But it could always happen. You, you know, you're right. League players are definitely known for having the best sportsmanship in all of gaming. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. I really couldn't because we, we all know that League has had uh, issues with sportsmanship amongst their, their players in the past. I do think that they've gotten past a lot of that, though. So I think this will probably pan out fine, but I guess time will tell on that one. Uh, another esports group that's been really, really harmed by COVID's, the COVID situation is fighting games. Because fighting games, as we all know, like those you really don't want to play online, you really don't want to have a ping. They're all about split-second reactions, uh, and, and they are facing a whole different set of challenges with the ping connection thing. And not only that, recently the CEO of Dreamland, which runs Smash-centric tournaments and things, uh, signed up for an event in Florida, but Florida didn't, you know, issue a legal thing to cancel all events. So they're actually risking a potential $70,000 fee because they're not delivering the promised booking numbers at the venue they signed up for. And the reason for that is because obviously everyone is self-quarantining because there is an epidemic or a pandemic rather. Uh, so it's it's really not their fault, but they're in a position where they could essentially lose enough money to end their their tournament organizing uh and and it's basically not being protected due to the governor not issuing any kind of order or bill that will prevent that from from happening uh so between the the financial risks for them right now and the potential problems of moving to an online situation it it actually does seem like the fighting esports are in the worst position here that is definitely true have you seen most of the kind of fighting game events past couple years? It's always kind of a bunch of people packed in an auditorium or something watching these two guys duke it out on a stage. It's kind of had that kind of grassroots kind of all crowd right there supporting you, rooting for this guy or that guy up there on the stage. And definitely this is they'll probably be one of the most impacted kind of esports scenes for the next like year or two that we're in this situation. But they're definitely going to have to just adapt and find ways to improve and kind of overcome the circumstances they're facing in these trying times. But the Florida thing is kind of crappy because I feel like they should be able to, given the current situation, that they people wouldn't take, obviously know what's going on and they shouldn't really 
be too at fault because obviously we're in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree that that's terrible. Folks, if you want to, uh, Alex Jabaley, the organizer for Dreamland and CEO of Dreamland, is uh, is asking for donations from people to help them deal with those additional fees. So you can definitely look for him online if you want to help out and, and prevent them from potentially going under because of this. Uh, it's it's really weird to me because like I'm a wrestling fan and recently there was like a cross promoted event called Fighter Fest where a wrestling company AEW actually worked with Alex Jabaley of Dreamland so I know who this guy is even though I don't follow like esports fighting things and they they seem to have a really cool organization and it's really unfortunate that they have ended up in this situation um, so I. I really hope that something changes in Florida where they don't end up on the hook for this. And it's honestly pretty terrible of the Windham Orlando resort to, to be trying to seek these additional fees given the situation. Like that really does seem like profiteering off of a pandemic. And I, I mean, I understand that the, the hotel is probably also in dire straits right now, but I don't think that the way that we get through this pandemic is by taking out our financial issues on other people who are also then having financial issues. I think it's something we should probably be banding together over. Um, as far as the, the esports side of it goes, though, do you think that perhaps that we will see some more dedicated servers become a thing? Like, that could potentially help reduce some of the, the issues with ping and connection if we saw fighting organizations building sort of dedicated servers and perhaps hubs around the country where their players would go to for a consistent, stable connection. Oh, that kind of depends on the game and probably have to talk to developers and take a lot of kind of communication back and forth to get that set up. It's not like we can just go and make a dedicated Smash server without kind of working with Nintendo. So it kind of, by case-by-case basis, I guess, that would probably be like the ideal solution. But I don't think anyone's really trying that in these current times. It's probably no one's priority. See, that's a very good point, and it's a great segue to talk about what remote development is looking like for a lot of these studios. Um, and and to be fair, like I, I haven't been following a ton of studios, but I have been following DE pretty closely because I do play Warframe, uh, and they're all transitioning right now to a remote workload. And and it's interesting because you you made a good point that we're probably going to see some needs between some of the sort of gaming auxiliary things like esports and the actual game developers to find some middle grounds and work together to transition into this, this sort of new social distanced world. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting too, because nobody knows exactly how long this is going to last. So as a game development company, you have to make some decisions about whether or not you want to invest in long-term infrastructure, just in case this goes long or whether you think you can wait it out and everything will just be fine. Um, I personally if I was running a game development studio right now, I would be looking at the long-term viability of making some changes because realistically, we don't know how long this is going to last and you don't want to roll the dice on this ending quickly necessarily. Um, that being said though, like it's very interesting hearing how people are transitioning to these, these remote workloads. Um, it, it seems like a lot of companies have been pushing things out a little bit, which is, I think, fine and fair to shove your development out by just a little bit because you're you're making a big, big change. Yeah, Digital Extreme, the developers who probably is known for Warframe, had recently, they were working on having a, they just released a 
their first update for 2020 and was about to kind of launch their first event of the year, Scarlet Spear, in the early March. And then obviously the kind of increased caution and emergency for other coronavirus, COVID-19 kind of broke up. So they had to push back the launch of the event as they were moving to kind of working from home and kind of the remote workload for the event. And it kind of delayed it by a little bit. And they're kind of adjusting from the working from home situation. And they're kind of, I think they're handling it pretty well. So do I. I think DE is a unique company in this regard, too. I think that a lot of other companies are probably struggling a little bit more with this. But DE is a company that constantly streams. They're constantly staying in connection with their community via streaming. So they're already kind of used to this remote communication with their communities in that way. And I think for them, having already done that makes them a lot more well-equipped to do what they're doing now. Um, they, they have talked about having some particular complications, of course. Like their, their biggest concerns right now are things like, what do you do when you need to mocap? Because nobody has a mocap studio set up in their house. That's, that's a little bit weird. Um, I, I would imagine that stuff like voice recording is easy enough to do from people's homes. I'm sure you can, you know, send some hardware there and they can set up a little mini studio type thing. That's not that difficult. Uh, I should know I'm, I, I do it all the time, but at the same time, like the, the mocap thing is huge. Like, I don't, I don't know that you can do that from home effectively, like at least not without a massive expense, right? They'll probably still be doing that in studio as probably, so they're probably just trying to limit the amount of people and mocap they're probably doing coming forward. There probably won't be too many more animations or things added to things, different like enemies or warframes, but they'll probably just send them into the studio for kind of like three or four hours trying to get it done and then just kind of limit the exposure they have to different people because obviously they, that's one of the things that they can't really do at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at that point, it's really interesting, too, because like what do you, you go in for your mocap session, you do your whole mocap session, you're all tired and worn out. And then you sanitize the entire studio before the next person comes in. Right. Because like that kind of needs to happen just for safety's sake. Well, I guess it does also depend on the distance of time between when you come in and when the next person comes in, because we do right now know that there's like a limitation for how long the virus can survive on surfaces and things. So I, I definitely think it's going to be interesting. I do think that there have been some, some very uh, unexpected outcomes, both positive and negative for this. Um, I, I don't know if you've caught any of the DE dev streams from home, but the, there's been some very interesting things in those both positive and negative. I've seen a couple of streams where it feels like the audience is really connecting on a, a better level with the DE staff. And that's because you're seeing them in a more natural environment. Uh, they're more comfortable because they're at home. A lot of the times we're seeing pets come into the stream and everybody loves pets, right? Pets on stream. That's, that's winning right there. Uh, so that works out really, really well for them, I think. But we've also seen some issues where people are, are having trouble with bit rates and they're not like not everybody is able to see the stream because it's a home setup. So there's a little bit less consistent throughput, uh, perhaps based on the fact that they're not used to doing streaming, like the bit rate may be up too high or something. Uh, it's, it's very interesting though. Like I was in one of the streams the other day and it was in, I can't remember who was the streamer for that one, but they were in like their sunroom. So it was a really, really bright environment and it had like a really bright mood for the stream and everybody seemed to be having fun. And then like halfway through, there's a bunch of people coming in who are like, this is not even a stream. This is like stop motion animation. What is going on? Yeah, I haven't been able to catch any of their 
kind of at home with streams. But yeah, um, uh, I guess I kind of see what you're saying. People can like connect because it's more kind of a normal environment. But I feel like the kind of feeling streams shouldn't really change so much because, like you said, they are constantly they do streams throughout the week regularly from the studio. So just moving it from the studio to the home, maybe some technical things on the technical side they need to get adjusted. But for the most part, gameplay wise and stuff, it should be kind of the same familiarity for the people that regularly watch these streams. Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's something that's had more positive than negative impact. Uh, and I, I hope that other studios will follow their in their footsteps because I think that getting that more personal connection with the devs is not necessarily a negative thing, especially not if it, it's reciprocated. You know, if the devs feel more personally attached to their communities, then it does encourage them to make different types of decisions on the game. It's very easy in a, a business position to look at the situation in your game and make a business decision. If you're more personally connected to your audience, though, I feel like that is a different decision. It's not just business anymore. You also have this audience that you're taking more into account because you're closer to them on a personal level. So I think we could see some some positive changes to the way games are developed because of that. I mean, not so much in DE because they're always very connected to their community, but there are a lot of other gaming studios that aren't that close connection to their community that may change the way that they think. And uh, we could see some great, great impact on the development of games because of that. Uh, there, there has been some other things that have come out of this unfortunate pandemic situation, though. We've seen a lot of uh, organic marketing in the gaming industry lately. Some very interesting things there. You were talking about WoW having a, an XP buff that they've applied for how long? The World of Warcraft has a, added a 100% XP buff from March 20th to April 20th. I think it's one of the first times you ever had kind of this big of an XP buff for any kind of event or special or emergency occasion. And I think a lot of people are taking the, this as a time to level up some alts or get back into the game and just got to sort of try it out. And it's kind of nice because we're kind of in the development cycle that the latest patch, the 8.3 patch, was kind of most of the contents out and about, and it's kind of winding down as we start to work towards the build-up for Shadowlands. So it's a good time for this kind of XP bus, and given the current situation, to kind of give more reason to do some other activities in World of Warcraft. I definitely think that it's a, a good move on Blizzard's part because now is a great time for them to be like, hey, you played World of Warcraft before, you invested a bunch of time in it, but you maybe fell behind or you haven't played lately. Here's the thing to help you get caught up so that you can rejoin all of your friends that you used to hang out with on here. And in the current atmosphere where like the World Health Organization is recommending people use gaming for a good, healthy social connection... Uh, it's a great idea for Blizzard to be like, hey, you remember that thing you used to do with your friends? Now you can get back into it. We'll make, we'll make it even easier for you to do that. Come on in. Come check it out. Uh, it seems like a, a really smart move on their part. And also just a really nice thing for people that do have those social connections in WoW to be able to get back into them and not feel like they're you know behind the curve so much. Uh, so, yeah. Definitely, I'm not a huge fan of Blizzard. Everybody who knows me knows that I'm very critical of Blizzard because I think they get away with a lot because of how much people like them. In this case, though, I think they definitely made a good move, both a good move business-wise and a good move for their community. So kudos to Blizzard on the WoW XP buff. I think it's a good idea. Uh, we've also seen recently a bunch of Steam games that are going free. And it's interesting, too, because a lot of these Steam games that are going free, they're, they're decent enough games on their own. 
but they have a myriad of DLC, be it cosmetic or, or slight things that you can add to the game. Uh, so once again, a really interesting organic marketing strategy because these games are allowing people to play together, but they also have that little bit of extra oomph if you want to spend a little money, right? Yeah, there is a lot of kind of multiplayer games that decided to go free just currently because a lot of, maybe they want more people to try and play the game during that current situation. And since we're the multiplayer, it means you and your friend can pick both, pick the game up and just try it out and play it for free. And they do have some DLC, so if you like the game, you can potentially buy some DLC to support the developers of the game that you picked up for free. So, like you're saying, it's kind of people, business, games, trying to find a way to organically promote or do kind of marketing business situation in our current climate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the most interesting uh, sort of organic marketing, and, and not even necessarily organic marketing that, that has come from this, is the situation with Plague, Inc. Uh, Plague, Inc. was pulled from game stores by China when the COVID virus began to spread, and that was because Plague, Inc. is about creating a global pandemic and China felt that the virus in the game was too closely related to the real life one. China is very, very big on censoring games, folks. If you didn't know that, you do now. They're very particular about how things are done in their games. Uh, game Goon, I think you you mentioned some stuff about League being censored over there. Uh, lots of games are censored in China, like some examples off the top of my head. PUBG, when you kill someone in PUBG in China, instead of them like falling over dead, they just kneel down and drop their like loot chest at your feet, saying like basically take my loot. They don't really like having blood in video games, so a Vladimir or blood mage character in League of Legends doesn't really his effects are all not painted red or kind of painted black and stuff in China. And even WoW has some kind of forsaken in China or look differently because they don't really like glorifying the dead and stuff in China. So they're kind of gaming censorships for games to be published in China. So taking that a step further, they kind of didn't really like this game, Plague Inc. in the current environment, and so they kind of took it from all their storefronts. But from that, they decided to kind of change it, and you got the update on that? Yeah, yeah. So Plague Inc., their response to that was to make a 250k donation to various foundations that are helping with the fight against COVID and to add a pandemic recovery mode to their game where instead of spreading a pandemic, you will in you will be essentially trying to stop the spread of a pandemic. You'll be doing things like instituting quarantine, trying to distribute supplies, managing man hours on your, your health staff, things like that. And that mode is going to be free. It's going to be released as a free update to Plague Inc. So if you want to support a company that is doing their best to kind of help out in this situation, uh, maybe take a look at picking up Plague Inc. I know that I haven't really played the game, but I'm considering picking it up now just because this is interesting and intriguing to me. Uh, so definitely, though, kudos to Plague Inc.'s devs for, for seeing something that they could do to help and taking the opportunity. I'm also like, honestly, one of the things that's, that's most surprising about this is that this is not like a DLC. This is legitimately, we're just going to give you this for free. Yeah. That's really nice of them to kind of take their games, kind of, you say it's kind of have a mormit game, try and turn it around. And they may not have ever thought about doing this originally, but in a current time, just kind of basically a iteration on their game design, just basically the reversal instead of spreading, trying to control a disease and basically a new game mode for their game. And they're just putting out for free. And they're like, you said they're working with who to kind of get some kind of real life data and be able to kind of 
accurately portray how you would fight the pandemic in this kind of actual real life situation. Yeah, you just reminded me of that. I was going to I was going to say um, so they're as part of the situation, they're actually working with those health organizations to get experts to come in and provide information on how that mode should look. And what's really interesting about that is that it almost functions as an educational tool for people that are probably, you know, in their homes, scared, not really understanding everything about this. Like here's this somewhat form of education that you can then use to help you understand how people are combating COVID and what kinds of things you as a person can expect so that it's not as surprising when things happen. I think that's great. Overall, I think that's just a great idea. Yes, definitely a good kind of interesting spin on their game. Um, other and it's like it's just kind of kind of going back to the remote development team for the essence. Having a bunch of people kind of having to work remote for these next couple of months in our situation, a lot of games probably are since they're working from home, the, the development time for a bunch of games is either gonna be extended or kind of pushed back as people get shifted around and people try and figure out kind of what kind of games or projects to prioritize, try either make deadlines or push deadlines back for the next couple. Basically, I guess 12 months of gaming we were going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely think that's for the best. I mean, a lot of these games could use a little bit more development time anyway, let's be honest. Um, I do want to touch on one more thing that that reminded me of. That's not the only thing that's being pushed back. Final Fantasy XIV has suspended in-game evictions for their housing system. Uh, and that's that's a hugely cool thing. Their their mentality was that if you've actually got to worry about your housing situation in real life, you definitely shouldn't have to worry about it in Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I don't haven't played much Final Fantasy XIV myself, but it is pretty nice of them to kind of pause something that's kind of one of their... I think they do have a lot of praise for their in-game housing situation, and since there's like limited plots, they have this eviction system to where... If you don't pay, make payments, you kind of lose your spot. So it frees up spots on the server so other people can get housing because it's kind of one of those kind of coveted kind of, I guess, in-game milestones to have. But it is nice that they're kind of spending that for until further notice to allow people to not worry about playing the game to make sure they make their payments and stuff for these different land plots. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, it's, it's interesting, too, because Final Fantasy fourteen had this whole situation where they released and were not well received at all. And they basically asked their community to give them a chance to fix it and to come in and give it a second try. And the community stuck with them through that. So it's really nice to see them kind of returning that favor to the community and trying to give something back here. Uh, very, very classy move by Squeenix on this one. Uh, Squeenix is Square Enix. I just like to call him Squeenix. So I definitely think that they have done uh, a very good thing in this regard for their community. And I, I hope that they, you know, receive the proper uh, thanks and gratitude from the community for that. I'm sure there'll be some people that are opportunists that are like, oh, well, now I can't snatch up that house that was going to become available. But I don't like I said, I don't think this is the time for opportunists. I think this is the time for us all to try to look out for each other. And they're definitely doing that with this change. Um and I mean, that's I think that's that's where we go. So thank you for joining me this week on on the Good Game Podcast, Game Good. It was a pleasure. We got some good discussions and we hit some good talk. And that's going to be it for this week. So GG Gaming Industry, we'll see you next time.